Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson from SaveWithConrad.com. Heads up, homeowners, all of a sudden your house is worth more than ever these last few years. But what are we going to do with that newfound equity? No, I'm not suggesting you sell your house or go buy something else. But didn't we all make this decision when we bought a house where we said, hey, someday we'd like to, and one day it would be nice if, maybe it's the dream kitchen, maybe it's an in-ground pool, maybe it's a man cave. But you've got this newfound equity, and I think we should use some of that equity to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket. But even better than that, we're routinely helping folks do this, and they wind up with a cheaper monthly payment. So if you got the dream house you always wanted, with no money out of pocket, and your payments went down, how easy is that? Find out how easy it is to turn your house into your dream home with no money out of pocket right now at SaveWithConrad.com. We can't wait to hear about your projects. Tell us what your dream is. We're going to help you make it happen at SaveWithConrad.com. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lenders. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Foley is Pod. And of course, we couldn't do it without the Hall of Famer himself, the hardcore legend, the one and only Mick Foley. Mick, how are you, man? I'm doing great. I still can't get over how good the Mr. In Your House theme song came out. It's so silly and so fun. It My goodness. Almost a year ago, just a little over a year ago. And it was just me and, uh, and, uh, Casey Hopkins, who does my, uh, helps with the social media. And he, uh, you know, is a great musician. So he had four, uh, vocalists that he was friends with and we just hammered it out. We did the video. We had a great time and we are the only podcast with his own theme song, right? I mean, not, I mean, one like that for sure. My oh, goodness. There's no other right. theme song. Like that one for yeah, sure. Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, and uh, we have uh, uh, we're going to take on some questions today, right? We're looking forward to it. It's an ask Mick anything. We got so many questions. There's no way we'll get to them all. Uh, let's start with one here from Dave McClay. He wants to know what's your favorite memory of working in the old Boston Garden. If you ever got a chance to work there. Oh wow! Yeah, and I just finished uh, watching uh, the season of Winning Time. And, uh, which is a great show on HBO about the Lakers dynasty and you, you know, the rise of the Lakers dynasty. You can't have a story about the Lakers dynasty without the Celtics. And there's a scene where the fans are just pelting the, the Lakers bus after the Lakers pull out a playoff win. And, uh, I turned to my son and I said, Boston was a pretty tough arena to get out of like they were real passionate and there'd be no security and fans would be rocking your car i mean i don't want to say like life-threatening stuff but pretty scary like they took passion there uh, along with the philly fans and probably the new york fans as being the most vociferous in both their support and their uh animosity um I think uh, was it some was it the new the old garden where I wrestled uh, Nature Boy in the I Quit match? You know that's a great I, question. I need to check on that because yeah, uh, I actually you know my man, there's so much history. I saw one uh, Celtics game where they played the Knicks. My cousin had had season tickets for something like 50 years, so no matter. Um, he was kind of grandfathered in and they were like center court and just perfect tickets. And that was a great memory of uh, being at Boston garden. 
I wish I had. I wish I could remember for sure uh, because that may have been the new arena. That was uh, the new arena. It was TD Garden. It that was six. Yeah. I'm, coming up, I'm coming up with nothing. Uh, I know I've had some. You know, an hour away, I could tell you Worcester was where I defeated <laughs> somebody for the WWE title, and then it was the same place where I teamed up with, for the first time with that certain somebody, uh, being Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Uh, who I, I just heard from a couple of days ago, uh, it was like a who's who of people all texting me, but only because I had reached out to them and said, Hey, you know, starting on the Christmas letters this week, uh, just, and so I had, uh, in one day, not only the rock, but, uh, Stacy Keebler and, uh, David Art. let me see, uh, WCW world champion, David Arquette, Kurt Angle, uh, a whole bunch of people. Uh, so yeah, it was always nice to hear from the rock and he really, uh, he really enjoys the letters and the videos. So that's a, and he was entirely responsible for me upping my game last year. Not sure if you saw any of the Santa videos, but, uh, when, uh, I said, Hey, any details you give me to help me write a, a good letter or do a good video. And he left a seven and a half minute voice message, like with real details. Wow. And I thought, man, I'm. I, you can't have a, even though we are going with a single camera shot on this, um, you know, for a, a small child, four minutes with a single camera can get a little tedious. So Casey really upped the game. We got professional lighting, great green screen uh, editing, and really, uh, you know, he forced me. The same way it is in wrestling, you know, the great ones, they, they force you to uh, raise the bar. So the rock raised the bar for me as far as Christmas videos went. I love it. Uh, in my research real quick over with our friends at uh, cagematch.net, it looks like you wrestled quite a bit in Boston, usually at the fleet center. We know now as the TD garden. So yeah, I guess you barely miss the old, uh, the old arena. I know Bruce has said that the walls would sweat. And there's a portion oh, in season two where you just see what a sweat box that building could become. Oh, it was. And uh, it was rumored like the, that uh, the game there was 94 degrees inside. It's crazy. <laughs> that they were specifically messing with the, the hot and cold water, like when Kareem, <laughs> the cold water wasn't working when Kareem almost fainted. So, yeah, there were uh, a few dirty tricks played uh, along the way. Uh, but definitely that took me, you know, at the end of the game, you see magic Johnson in the shower and it's just rust and sweat. It was, it was, yeah, it was a historic arena with a great feeling, but yeah, it, it stunk a little bit. Talk about inside baseball. Here's a great question from Steve in a cage match with Eddie Gilbert. You were flipped in the air and your foot got caught in the gap between the two sides of the cage where they meet in the corner of the ring. I always thought that was an awesome spot. Was it planned or a happy accident? That is uh, my tribute to the Ric Flair uh, flip bump in the corner so that if you take that same bump in a regular match, it's stealing. If you do it in a cage match and get your foot caught, it's paying tribute. So mm. that was where I got that from. And uh, I, am I allowed? And I mean, and now that Wrestlers is on Netflix, there's nothing that isn't discussed, you know, and in the open. So uh, maybe 20 years ago, I would have felt uncomfortable saying that was a spot, but yeah, that was a spot. And one I probably did five or six more times throughout my career. You brought up the wrestlers. We should talk about it. I absolutely loved it. I can't wait to get your feedback. I know your friend, 
uh, longtime friend, Al Snow, if you still claim him these days, was uh, a critical well, part of that. Well, now proudly claiming him. Uh, the sad <laughs> part is I, I don't feel like I can pull off a good Al Snow joke and you know retain any credibility because he's he's such a solid character. Right? Yes. He's just, uh, but I'm like, what the heck happened to this guy? Like, when did he become uh, so curmudgeonly that he made Squidward tentacles look joyful by comparison. Uh, he's like an angry, <laughs> a cranky old man, but he's still a great character. Oh, yeah. I would, I would trade in a couple of those phrases that maybe don't <laughs> haven't aged well, <laughs> you know, and I, and I don't want to say which phrases, but there's a couple of them. I'm like, oh, I don't know about that phraseology. And, 2023 even when he's talking about i don't want to be standing here with my thumb up my yeah. you know my eyes oh come on there's a camera on you but in the end he comes across so well and like a father to this uh you know strange family and i thought it was i mean they genuinely made you care about a handful of people especially you know hollywood uh hollywood Haley who I had met at a at an indie show and 100% was like living the gimmick, you know? Yeah. So you leave that show and you definitely remember her. She definitely, I can't tell you if she wrestled or not, but she introduced herself to me and made quite an impression. You follow her trials and tribulations and uh, she's clearly got that it factor. Uh, I, I just don't know if the sheer honesty on camera is helps her or hurts her in the long run. I thought the same thing. I wondered if potentially she was setting herself up for some backlash, but certainly WWE extended the offer for her to have a tryout. So we're pulling for her and speaking of moving and shaking in the wrestling business, I feel like we should at least mention that Jade Cargill made the jump from uh, AEW over to WWE and they announced it on ESPN and boy, it got a lot of traction on social. I'm curious what you think of uh, Jade's game and what you expect next from her in WWE. Oh man, you talk about the it factor. She just really j- jumps off the page, and uh, I, you know, giving her the the day to do media is the way you break a star. It just remains to be seen whether they, you know, want to introduce her with a bang, not to with one of these. Uh, I feel like I'm cheating on the Rock now. Um, that I'm drinking a bang under when I've got a little Starbucks here too, right? I have an off day, so I am visited for the day by Lindsay Hart uh, of the Hart family and Tara Zepp, who is going to be the queen of deathmatch wrestling. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. There you go. Yeah, keep your eye on her. She's got a great look and uh, love the deathmatch stuff. I don't know why. Uh, and her ideal guy. Nick Gage. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Well, well, you know, so you- that's something you are showing the depth of your personality when your ultimate guy is Nick Gage. Uh, Joey fish has an interesting question. Have you ever considered having a Halloween event called Mick or treat Mick or treat never, not once. And I won't even entertain the thought after we're done with it. <laughs> But I, I think I gave Jade short shrift uh, because I, I only answered that in about 30 seconds. Yeah, wow, that was really impressive. It really was to see the rollout. And, uh, man, you know, 
if WWE can't, uh, you know, make her a major star, then they are, you know, they're failing in the in the worst way possible. So I think they will, and I think she will rise to that occasion. She's somebody whose upside is almost immeasurable. She's just going to continue to be better. But she's got that look, and not just the look, but the presence as well. And I see big things for her in WWE. I do too. And I'm really excited to see what's next for her. I think uh, she's off to a heck of a great start. We saw what they did with Cody Rhodes. It'll be curious to see what's next for Jade. Uh, Bobby has a great question from 1996. He wants to know what was your reaction when you saw Hulk Hogan turn heel at Bash at the Beach, 1996? <laughs> Envy, uh, because I had you know, worked so hard to be a heel for so long. And that was just, you know, epic heat. It was, I felt bad for all the little Hulksters. I knew there were going to be some tears that night around the globe. Uh, but we have it already in the can uh, with WWE on Most Wanted Treasures, the two-hour NWO episode where we go into depth about that. And, uh, you know, I, I not only visit up with the Hulkster, but had just an amazing time with Ke Kevin Nash, where I laughed so hard, my back hurt. And you just hope they capture that on uh, on film. Uh, but going back to the Hulkster's uh, turn, yeah, it was clear that it was going to be a big uh, driving force in wrestling, and it definitely was. Here's one from, uh, Ben Newman. I'm a huge fan of Sid and consider him the all time. What could have been wrestler. How do you feel about his, his ability and how was he to work with? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, he should have, could have, would have, and he was a huge star. Um, and I guess after he had that awful, uh, fracture of his leg, he was never the same after that. Right. But I knew Sid since 1988. Uh, you know, he was coming off a run as Lord Humongous in Continental Championship, uh, uh, CCW, Continental. I think it was Continental. It's Continental. I don't know the championship there you wrestling. Go. CWF. Could have been Continental Wrestling Federation. And he'd been Lord Humongous under a, a mask and he'd learned under the tutelage of Eddie Gilbert. And so for a mask guy to have that much charisma right out of the bat, you know, right, right out of the bat, right out of the gate, right out of the gate. Yeah. I'm going to use a rodeo reference instead of a baseball reference. Um, it was incredible. You know, he just commanded, uh, uh, the attention of people. And I remember, uh, Shane Douglas telling me that he w observed Ric Flair observing Sid when he had his WCW tryout. And when Sid got down on his knees and did that, you know, like yes. that turned to somebody goes, Oh, he's got it. Like he's got it. And he was uh man, you know, he, yeah, he seemed to have the whole thing. He jumped a couple times, maybe not at the opportune moments, uh, I do remember one time when, um, I worked with Sid on Monday night raw and the next day, Steve wasn't kid hell of a match last night. And I said, ah, oh, thanks Steve. And he like turned on me. He goes, get that was Ron. That's the worst match I've ever seen you have in your life. I don't mean, I have a pretty good internal meter on when something is going well and terribly wrong. And I don't remember feeling like it was going terribly wrong. I, don't, I didn't think I was tearing down the house, but uh, Steve jumped on me to the point where when he put over the whole Mr. Sacco thing, 
I thought he was getting ready to turn on me again. And he was like, oh, some of the funniest stuff I've ever seen. I didn't bite because I thought he was going to turn on me like he had with Sid. And instead, he really honestly thought it was one of the best, you know, funniest things you'd seen on our show. But going back to Sid, I don't remember working with him but a handful of times. And it was, uh, I guess it was okay. But I did always enjoy Sid and enjoyed riding with him and, uh, you know, read his uh, memoir co-written by Barry Norman. And uh, that was a pretty good book as well. I got to check that one out. That's one I've missed. But you know what? I'll tell you what. As I, because I like my word to mean something, you know, when it comes to putting over books. And the one thing Sid kept doing over and over is he kept going, I don't need to talk about it here because you can see it on YouTube. And it's like, no, no, this is your book. Like, you are supposed to talk about this, right? You know, like, you have to take those moments, even if you think you're sick of them. If they're the moments that define you, you need that's that's a, uh, I, I mean, that's a bit of a cop out to say, go ahead and look it up. Uh, that was the only that was the only uh, problem I had was that is that you want the uh, your subject to take you inside the ring for those moments. And he didn't really do that. I got to go out of my way to check that out. Uh, I just looked it up. The name of the book is. Uh... Poetry in the Sand, the yeah. life of the iconic professional wrestler, Sid Udy. Uh, here's a good one uh, about Scott Williamson. He says, I've always wondered why is it acceptable for some wrestlers to be so stiff, especially with punches? Lots of folks have great punches that look awesome and don't hurt. So why is it okay to rough people up? Vader seems top of mind. Stone Cold has admitted it. Who are some others? Well, there's a difference between someone who works solid or snug and somebody who takes liberties. And Leon, being the snuggest guy I ever worked with, I didn't feel like he took liberties. You know, the one match where he really roughed me up was by mutual agreement. And he took to it really well. Like, I had to talk him into it. Then once he was focused on doing a number on me, he took great interest in doing a number on me. And Steve's really proud of the fact that you know, uh, being on the receiving end of his comeback punches was no day at the park. Uh, I think a fan thought that it was going to offend him that I mentioned that, and Steve was rightfully proud of it. Here's the way I think. It's, you know, there's no one way to get to the finish line, and I made this comment in my uh, Santa memoir, and I know by the numbers that not many of you out there actually read it, so it'll be new to you. It's like, it's, it's how, I mean, I was talking about the difference between a theatrical bearded Santa and a real bearded Santa saying no one way is better than the other. It's all about creating the magic in the same way that, uh, when I went to triple H one day and I went, uh, Hunter, uh, Hunter, you know, as I don't call, you know, no, no one uses real names in the world of wrestling. I said, Hunter, I said, you work with both Steve and rock, right? And he goes, yeah. I said, what's the major difference? He goes, uh, Steve's punches hurt like hell and rocks don't hurt at all. I was like, exactly. But they both looked tremendous, right? And they uh, and they both were masters of their art. And somebody, I think we even covered this on our show. When somebody said, "Well, if he was snug, why didn't you say anything in the dressing room?" I was like, "What? Like, <laughs> why didn't you bring it up?" I was like, "Because he's Steve Austin, and literally everything that he has just done that I've done with him." 
has yielded a bigger response than anything I dreamt of doing. Honestly, like I never dreamt that I could get those kind of reactions, let alone 20 of them in one match. And then I'm going to go in and tell the guy responsible. He needs to lighten up because he never hit me in the mouth, you know, never broke my nose. And, uh, but he was real solid as was Bret Hart. Lindsay, Brett, Uncle Brett was proud of his, uh, his snugness, right? Yeah, it's one of his favorite opponents. Yeah, time. one of his favorite opponents of all time was who? Uh, Steve Austin. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, and that was a yeah. That, I'm just talking in general. Brett was known as the guy who really oh, yeah. brought it. He called them the rubber mallets, and they came in here, but they didn't hit you in the eardrum. They didn't hit you in the jaw, but uh, he was sending them for sure. So there's no one way to get to the finish line. It's however you get there. Instagram, a wrestling historian wants to know if the WWF wasn't an option, would you have stayed in ECW or gone back to WCW at some point? This is an interesting thing. I'm sorry. I'm eating while I'm doing this, but and I think this is, I'm like, I know I've talked about it before. I'm not sure if it's on our program or not, but I was pulling down. $3,000 a week for IWA Japan and coming home in, you know, pretty rough shape. So 10 day tours, 300, I do count the travel days as a day of work. So I was pulling down 300, uh, a night for them and about 500 a night for ECW. So I was making a living and I was working every, uh, every weekend that, I, that I wasn't in ECW Japan. I was doing Indies for $500 a shot. That's pretty good. Like I was eking out when I eking out, I mean, I was making a very low six figure, uh, sum, but I was working really hard to do it. But I was really proud of the fact that I was almost making as much as I was in WCW and I was doing it on my own. And I asked Paul one day, Heyman, um, how he would feel if I reached out to WCW and offered my services as something like a high level enhancement guy to just work Monday nights and basically be good with putting people over. And he was like, well, Mick, uh, and I, I, I can't do a Paul. Some guys do a good Paul. I mean, I, I don't, so I won't do one at all. And he said, if you did that, you could, you really couldn't work here. Like we can't have you near the top here and then putting guys over. And then he goes, he says, you know, you've got a lot more options than you think you do. And I said, I do. And it was Paul who put in my head that I could be a WWE guy. Well, I never would have seen that coming. Uh, I was going to say in a million years. I could have seen it coming in a million years, but I didn't think it was a, a verif- you know, I didn't think it was a, an, a real option. Um, and I'm glad to say that Paul was right and I was wrong. But I definitely did entertain the idea of, sorry for the burp, continuing on with the Japan and ECW for as long as it took. Here's an interesting one. Jonesy chats wrestling 36. When Mick's contract was close to expiring in the WWF back in 1997, did he have any thoughts about going back to WCW? Like at that point you'd been established. You had this incredible run of you became Mr. In your house. If you will, you worked with Shawn Michaels, you worked with the undertaker. You know, you, you still see on the other's channel, guys are making a boatload of cash. They got a lot of momentum with the NWO storyline. Maybe you've quote unquote made it to the big leagues, but financially there's probably more money in WCW. Would you have even considered that in 97? 
I just have to tell you, I saw a bald eagle about uh, 10 minutes before it went on the air, taking off with a giant fish in its talons. For real, yeah. I went out there with the binoculars. I was like, that's a bald eagle. And it turned out that the reason he's bald is he actually was slicking his white hair. I <laughs> <laughs> goodness. So I heard David Letterman say that like 30 years ago. The dad jokes on this show. Day. My goodness. Uh, um, the answer is no, I don't think I did. I don't think I, I was really happy with the, the way WWB is using me. And when I renegotiated uh, with Mr. McMahon, it was literally the day after I did the interview with JR. So, I, uh, and I was kind of, so I was kind of dealing from a position of strength. And I had a figure that I wanted, you know, is when I joined in, um, I didn't debut until the day after Mania 96, but I actually signed the contract like November of 95. Um, and uh, it was only a few days after I signed for nothing more than an opportunity. Uh, then Mark Merrow got the, the, you know, the first guaranteed contract. Not a knock on Mark because, I mean, uh, he's a great guy, and you, you get what you negotiate. Uh, and good for him that he ushered in that. You know, good for all of us that he ushered in that era for WWE. So I had a number in mind that I wanted for a guarantee, and Vince was amenable to that. And then fortunately, when business took off, like that minimum wasn't even a concern anymore. So I was happy with uh, the way I was being used in WWE, and I don't believe... I ever considered it, and I, I don't believe anyone from WCW reached out and expressed an interest in me either. So it all worked out in the end. So by now you know that Mick and I have spent a lot of time talking about some of these death matches and some of these bloody wars that he had, but you probably also know that that blood was intentional. You see, nobody wants to get cut accidentally, but unfortunately a lot of us do it. If you're using a cheap razor, you're getting those nicks, those cuts, that irritation. And I got to tell you, I got pretty annoyed with that whole subscription razor concept a few years ago. I found they just kept stacking up. What I enjoy most about Henson shaving is that it doesn't feel like a gimmick. It feels old school. Seriously, just the actual blade handle itself. Dude, it's metal. It's not some cheap piece of plastic that's going to break on you or frustrate you. This is like, I mean, I'm not saying it's going to last a lifetime, but it feels substantial. It feels like something our grandparents would have used. And at the same time, man, you get a whole pack of these straight razors. Dude, this is old school, but here's what's cool about it. And here's why I believe that you got to meet Henson shaving. They're a family owned aerospace parts manufacturer that's made parts for the international space station and the Mars Rover. And now they're bringing that same technology and engineering to your shaving experience. You see, I've learned that razor blades are like diving boards. The longer the board, the more the wobble, the more the wobble. Well, the more nicks, the more cuts, the more scrapes. You see a bad shave isn't a blade problem. It's an extension problem. So by using aerospace grade CNC machines, Henson makes razors that extend just 0. 0.0013 inches, which is less than the thickness of a human hair. That means a secure and stable blade with a vibration-free shave. 
It's also got a clog free design. You see this razor has built in channels to evacuate the hair and cream, which makes clogging virtually impossible. Seriously, Henson shaving wants the best razor, not the best razor business. Let me explain. There's no plastic. There's no subscriptions. There's no proprietary blades. There's no planned obsolescence. The Henson razor works with standard old school dual age blades, but it gives you that, that new age, that new school tech. I mean, dude, these folks have made stuff for space. You darn right. They can make stuff for your face. And once you own a Henson razor, it's only like three to five bucks a year to replace the blades. I'm a big believer in this. I was overwhelmed with the value. Seriously, you're going to get more blades than you can imagine. In my first shave, I have to admit, I was a little intimidated. I haven't worked with a straight razor like this before, but dude, it was easy and I felt like a badass when it was done. I'm going to tell you, the design is incredible. The durability is awesome. It's super affordable. My buddy Cassio Kid came over to watch the Royal Rumble and I had told him about the razor before and I said, hey man, I got to show this to you. And I showed him the blade. I showed him the razor. It's, it's something you got to see. I recommend it. It's the most manly thing you can do today. It's time to say no to subscriptions and say yes to a razor that will last you a lifetime. Visit hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley to pick the razor for you and use code Foley and you'll get two years worth of blades free with your razor. Just make sure you add them to your cart. That's 100 free blades. When you head to H E N S O N S H A V I N G dot com slash Foley and use the promo code Foley, hensonshaving.com forward slash Foley. Here's one from um, Matthew Podcast Network. I know that you have shared a lot of your thoughts about a lot of the uh, female rosters on both of the big brands. And Matthew wants to know what are your thoughts on Shotzi? You're really, you remember, I haven't been watching the products. Okay. Like so you, so she, she had wrestled a lot on the independence. She's been with WWE for a little bit. She spent some time in NXT. She used to ride a tank to the ring. Was like oh, a oh tank. wow. How did they pronounce? Oh, I thought you said Chauncey. Shotzi. Shotzi. Oh, I love Shotzi. You know, I don't know why they took the tank away from her. Um, man, uh, they could have done more with her. And, yeah. uh, and it looks like they are doing more now, but she's such a great character, you know, and a unique person. And she just, uh, ha man, I'm so sorry that I, 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 I misheard you. Yeah. I, I think she's great. Personally, I love the black heart name, you know, I mean, Shotzi's still a cool name and I know she, um, uh, she, you know, she cut all her hair off, right. To honor her yes, sister. That's exactly right. And that's a gutsy move, but I just saw her a few months ago. Uh, at, uh, she was helping raise money. Uh, I was at the, uh, horror convention in Ocala, Florida and, uh, uh, NXT has that great relationship with give kids the world that Scotty too hot. He says, I actually started because I was the one that told him about it. And then he brought it to the attention of NXT and a guy like Tommaso, uh, Tampa, he goes there like every couple of weeks, I think. So, oh, wow. Shotzi was uh, helping uh, NXT raise money for Give Kids the World, and she was at the convention, and it was great to see her. Yeah, so I think she's somebody that has a big upside, and I even, you know, was hoping that she would win the Rumble a couple of years ago because winning the Rumble is obviously like a bold proclamation 
and a real sign that the company is behind someone and a sign to the fans that, you know, it would be worth their emotional interest to get behind them too. If you had to guess who you think is the, uh, the odds on favorite to win the ladies rumble this year, would you throw it down on Shotzi or Jade Cargill? JJ. Oh man. I mean, you have to, like I said, like I said, they had the great rollout for Jade. Um, yeah, that would be a great, uh, I, you know, there are so many options. Uh, I, I am all in favor of making the big, big splash right away. And I understand the value and of the, of NXT, but I think when you have somebody like that, you want to make that big splash right away. Like, like they did with AJ styles, like they did with, um, Cody. And that would be a perfect way to do it. Let's talk about some WWF, uh, 1980s managers. This is an interesting question from uh, Kevin. He says, what three managers would have managed each of the three faces of Foley had he been in the company in the eighties. Now, of course in the eighties, it felt like everyone had a manager, whether it was slick or it was Bobby Heenan, or it was Jimmy Hart. I mean, there were so many iconic managers from that era. Do any of those really stand out? From that era that you think, boy, that could have worked with this face of Foley or that face of Foley. It's so rude to be eating on your time. Um, it's not my time. It's our time as, uh, Mr. Hand taught us in, <laughs> am I dating myself here? I don't know, Mr. Hand, but I, uh, I'll take your word for it. Bacoli ordered the uh, pizza. Mm, got it. He's like, I just want to have a little, you know, tasty snack. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, if I told you Phoebe Cates topless scene, you remember that movie in a heartbeat, Conrad? I've heard of that one. Yep. I'm familiar with that. <laughs> I've heard of that one. <laughs> Only heard of it though. All right. The question was manners. So I was going to say that managers were so prevalent at one point that WCW actually had a manager's battle Royal. And there was like 12 guys in it. So yeah, they were pretty, uh, yeah, they were pretty prevalent in those days. Hey, a uh, good buddy of mine, Danny Zucker will be visiting me uh, tomorrow. And he was my first manager as the grand lizard of wrestling. Oh, wow. And actually managed me at one house show where I uh, wrestled Davey boy Smith at the Tacoma dome, I think in 97. Um, so I'm going to go captain Lou probably would have been good for cactus Jack. Um, I don't think you have anybody doing dude speaking for him. Now dude's a pretty formidable vocal force. And if you've been checking out cameo videos, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and as far as mankind, oh man, let me think that that's the guy who probably could, oh, I did have an amazing manager, you know, as Paul bearer. Uh, like fit like a glove. Uh, and since he uh, Undertaker debuted in 1990, I think you could say it's an extension of the eighties. It's the final year of the eighties, right? Yeah. Um, I'm going to say Paul bear was the perfect choice for mankind, even though, uh, he Undertaker debuted in 90 on Paul Barrett and managed me until 96, but I'm going to keep that answer. Armando wants to know what's worse, thumbtacks or barbed wire? Oh, that's an easy one because thumbtacks 
they rate very highly on the Foley risk-reward ratio analysis because the reward is very high. The risk is, I'm not going to say it's very low, but when your biggest uh, you know, your biggest concerns are making sure you close an eye if you're dumb enough to take it face first, which I was on a couple of occasions, and then you also want, uh, you know, the clean tax, right? Like, uh, um for years, I thought I had like a skin rash that wouldn't go away, no matter what kind of creams I was putting on it. <laughs> then I realized it wasn't a rash. It was hundreds of tiny whole puncture scars that made up something that looked like a rash. Um, so they don't leave too bad of a mark. And barbed wire around a bat is not bad, but barbed wire when it's uh, – in place of the ring ropes, not in addition to, but in place, they can catch and tear you and change your life in a major way. And I think the best example of that is when Sabu got something like what would have been a hundred stitches if he didn't super glue it himself. And that to me was one of the gutsiest moments in wrestling where any other sport, a guy gets the equivalent of a hundred stitch wound, bam, they take a little time out. And instead he got, Bill Alfonso to run to the back, came out with a roll of tape, and he wrapped his uh, leg while the match was going on. And that's among the most badass moments in any athletic endeavor, I think. So barbed wire was much, much, much more dangerous uh, because it could catch and tear. How often did you work with rubber-tipped barbed wire versus the real deal? Uh, only a couple times. Uh, and I'll leave that up to people to figure out yeah. where it is. I always liked the idea. I like the realism of it, you know, but I think I've told this story when I had two um, boiler room matches. So the first was in 96 the second against the undertaker. The second was in 99, I think with the big show may of 99, I think. And Richie Posner was known as the magic man. And he came up to me a, a week or two before that match with Undertaker and asked me if I needed any props. And I said, listen, um, I don't want to seem out of line. I know I'm fairly new here, but I don't use props. Like if I'm going to use something, it's going to be real. And that was the way I felt in 1996. And then in 1999, I went up to Richie a week before my match with Big Show and said, I need as much stuff as you can give me some. And that was the only time I ever used fake blood and it worked. It was great. Nobody knew. Again, it's just a matter of getting over the, the finish line. And I would encourage people, if you're going to get 99% of the reaction with 5%, I don't, I'm not a mathematician, but according to the instantaneous Foley risk reward ratio analysis, I'm going to say bar, rubber tip poses a 5 and I do know for a fact that I would much rather sign like a belt that's wrapped in rubber tip barbed wire than real barbed wire. And it's a miracle that people can even get these things like through airports and metal detectors at conventions. So there is a difference. I used it a few times and I was okay with it. Um, and I would encourage if people want to play with that, unless it's the hardcore stuff. Uh, if you're in an organization that prides itself on uh, being hardcore or, or being like, a, if you find out that there was a fake barbed wire used in a deathmatch tournament, 
that's not going to fare well with those fans. Would Nick Gage ever use rubber tip barbed wire? No. No. So, no. so it's just been verified by Tara Zepp that Nick Gage would not. I will tell you this. I got a cameo for my kids two Christmases ago from Nick Gage. And uh, I sent a message to him and I said, Nick, just because I don't curse doesn't mean I don't want you to curse. Don't give him like the G-rated Nick Gage. Give him the, the full force thing. And so in the course of about a minute and 10 seconds, Nick used more swear words than I've used in the last decade. Uh, so just verifying his hardcore credentials. So, yeah, use the rubber tip unless you're working for a, an organization that, you know, prides itself on uh, the deathmatch or hardcore moniker. Chris wants to know what was something you learned about the business coming out of the Montreal screw job? Oh man. Ultimately it's a business about forgiveness, mm. right? I mean, ultimately that's what it turned out to be. But, uh, I mean, that was a harsh reality. It really was a harsh reality for me when I was in my hotel room watching the TV and realized I was the only guy. I think Rick Rude also. Yeah, Rick Rude and I were the only guys who followed through <laughs> on not showing up. And then my wife read my contract to me, and I realized I just breached it and legally couldn't work anywhere in the world for five years. So the next day I came back hat in hand and uh was welcome back no questions asked but the hart family they Lindsay, the hearts appreciated that right very much the one day walk out was one day longer <laughs> than most and brett really appreciated it as well but I, I mean it became you know it was a business but it was also very personal you know we had our backs to the wall and i did come to understand that uh vince was doing what he thought he had to do to you know to save his company uh, it was really unfortunate, you know, that it happened. Um, but it, it, no doubt that it was good for WWE business because that was really the uh, origin of the Mr. McMahon character. And then without that, you don't have the angle with uh, Steve and, and Vince, which really strapped a rocket to WWE at that time. All right, by now you know that uh, Mick and I both like to save money. He's Frugal McDougal, and I've been known to save a dollar or two. But let me give you a little pro tip on saving money, because that's the old thing we're looking for, right? It's like we've always heard. It's not how much you make, but how you save. Well, maybe you're like me, and you've fallen for a good deal here and there, or so we thought. Try it free for 30 days. Well, that's enough time to try it, and then completely forget about it. I have to admit, I did this before Rocket Money. Rocket Money showed me all the subscriptions that I'd signed up for, and dude, I wasn't using a bunch of them. I had no idea that both my wife and I signed up for Hulu, but we watch TV together. We don't need two accounts. We needed one account. I even had a subscription that was very expensive to DAZN. I bought it over a year prior just to watch one fight and forgot about it. They just kept drafting, and I missed it. So let me ask you this. Do you know how much your subscriptions really cost? I thought I was spending like 80 bucks a month. Man, when it was all said and done, I was spending hundreds per month. 
it's time you find out exactly what you're spending with rocket money. You see rocket money is a personal finance app that helps you find and cancel all of your unwanted subscriptions. It's even going to help you monitor your spending and help you lower your bills all in one place. Over 80% of people have a subscription they forgot about. Maybe you signed up for the stars app to watch one show, or maybe you got like a free gaming trial, but you never actually used it. That's where rocket money comes in. They will quickly and easily find the subscriptions for you. Any you don't want, man, you just hit cancel rocket money does the rest for you. It's that easy. Rocket money can also help you manage your finances in one place. You can automatically categorize your expenses. So it's easy to track your budget in real time and you'll get alerted if anything looks off. Over 3 million people have used rocket money so far, saving the average person up to $720. Stop throwing your money away. Cancel unwanted subscriptions and manage your expenses the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash Foley. That's rocketmoney.com slash Foley rocketmoney.com slash Foley. Uh, here's a fun one. We've never discussed. Maddie nice wants to know where did the name for dude loves leg dance come from the knock need love dance. Yeah. What, what, that's kind of fun. I don't know. I, I, I actually it was Danny Zucker, the guy who was going to be visiting me who I first saw do that. And since I was, uh, uh suddenly I would do when I invented do love in 84, 85, he didn't dance, you know, he was like a laid back hip cat. Uh, but when we were reinventing him in 1997, you know, he was supposed to dance. So what do you do if you're uh, assigned the task of dancing? You have absolutely no dancing skills. You have to do something a little different. So I, yeah, I called it the knock need. Uh, 23 could do knock need love dance. I don't know where that came from. Um, I, I guess I invented it. Here's a fun one. This is from uh, KCW. She wants to know. No. My apologies. The fun one is from Rick. I've always been curious how Mick feels about Travis Scott using the Cactus Jack name for his record label and clothing company. Is that gimmick infringement or flattery? And I was also be curious to know if Mick or WWE ever got that copyrighted or could claim a cut. We haven't really talked about um, that before. You know, I, it is a tribute. Uh, it's pretty flattering if you think about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't know for sure, but then when I saw him on SNL and he mentioned his dancer, Bang Bang, I was like, oh, he's a captain. <laughs> so uh, I think I think it's cool. I think we – we uh, Mike Dawkins and Travis's people, I guess, have um, – we have agreed to kind of share it. You know, it's like I can use it. I've copyrighted it, you know, in the wrestling world. And Travis has done a lot with that. And uh, during the pandemic, I did a photo shoot <laughs> for uh, for the Cactus Jack line. You know, this is where it was just me. I was putting the photo on the timer. And then uh, fortunately, they did some Photoshopping. Uh, so, yeah, I did. Uh, they, they did pay me handsomely. I guess you could argue not as handsomely if I wanted to, like, fight it in court or something. But uh, I always, you know, the way it is. Like when someone uses my moves, like some guys get hot about it. I like it, so I do see it as a tribute. The only thing I'm upset about is that when the Cactus Jack value meal came out at McDonald's, I went through the drive-through and asked if there was a price reduction if you were the real Cactus Jack. I love that so much. (laughs) I should have taped it. I mean, maybe I did. 
But uh, I had a little fun with that. And it's kind of cool when people from the uh, outside world find out what the influence was. And it wasn't like I invented the name. You know, I, I, I've talked pretty openly about how I just came up with Cactus Jack, uh, kind of as a tribute to my dad, but also as a way to have one of the blandest, most generic names possible until I could graduate to becoming Dude Love. And that was because I really enjoyed the Kirk Douglas portrayal of Cactus Jack Slade in uh, one of Arnold Schwarzenegger's first movies called The Villain, which I think is actually reissued as Cactus Jack. Mm. So I didn't I didn't invent it. Uh, I'm okay with sharing it, and I'm looking on the lookout for bald eagles with fish in their talons. All right, let's uh, let's do one from Samoa John. What's the best hotel room you've stayed in, and what's the worst hotel room you've stayed in? <laughs> There's a lot of them vying for the worst. I think the best hotel rooms I've stayed at are when uh, WWE would have me overseas as like an ambassador for the brand. Uh, before they were official ambassadors, they sent me a lot of places before they actually toured there, I think to gauge interest. And I remember being both in Australia and Malaysia and just being stunned by how beautiful the suites they put me up in were, but I was working 16 hour days. I mean, they really put you to work. And so it was like the end of five, five days in Australia. And I finally was like, I'm making it a point to just go around and sit on every couch in this suite because it was so beautiful. So those would be my favorite ones going with Australia, Malaysia. And there was another one. If I'm trying to think of which country it is, um, tallest skyscraper in the world. When I was over there, uh, Kobe Bryant was giving a basketball, basketball clinic in the mall. And when I rode up to the top, uh, it wasn't Ariel Grande, but it was one of those top three pop stars was in the elevator with me. Uh, so that was that Dubai, I believe that was. And so that was an incredibly nice hotel room, too. Generally speaking, if I'm an in an incredibly nice hotel room, somebody else is fitting that footing that bill. But I have become over the years like a three star man on my own because at my age, you know, and my heft, like I have to treat myself pretty good. And, or else I can't continue to function. And so I, uh, a two and a half to three star man. And, you know, I'm not ashamed of it either. Here's one from, uh, Jim Bob Squarepants. He wants to know outside of wrestling, what does Mick enjoy most about conventions? You do a lot the of these. What do you like best about them? I do like the conventions. You know, here's the thing. They're not for everyone. Uh, somebody asked me, I remember I was in, uh, Florida and I did, there was an A-list star who wasn't giving people great interactions. And the question was, Mick, uh, so-and-so is out there and he doesn't seem into it. And you seem like you genuinely enjoy yourself. Why is that? And I said, well, that guy, he's a great actor, right? They said, yeah, yeah. I said, maybe he should act like he wants to be there. Like there've been... Plenty of times, you know, and especially in wrestling, when you are so beaten up and run down and lacking sleep that you don't necessarily, you know, like you have to pump yourself up for it. And part of the way you do that is by realizing that the fans out there 
have uh, you know some gone to great lengths to you know to save the money. Sometimes a babysitter, you know, beverages. It's a pretty significant undertaking, and you don't. You, you, they deserve the best that you can give them, and I feel the same way about the cons. Uh, that on days you know when I am struggling, especially with sleep. Like you just got to keep that ad is just, just get through the day, get through the day. And that's the way it was a couple of days ago when I went to Spokane with no sleep. And then luckily once, uh, in, you know, once it was showtime, we had a really good event. Uh, and for, just as we were talking, uh, we posted a story on Facebook about a wounded warrior I met in 2003 who I've stayed in touch with. And he was at my Spokane event. So I hope people will check that out. It's a, it's pretty good. You know, I think it's a pretty nice story. Um, but that's it. I, uh, I do like the experience almost all of the time. And on those days when I'm not liking it, dug on it, I'm going to make you think that I like it because uh, that's what we, we owe the fans. Here's one from Graham. He wants to know besides the Chicago bears, do you have a favorite NHL or NBA team? And I have become such, a, not just a fair weather fan, but uh, whoever treats me good is who I'm a fan of. You know, like the Ric Flair approach. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, uh, yeah, like Rick gets invited to all kinds of places. When I grew up, you could literally get in a fight, uh, you know, between Yankees and Mets fans. You know, there you had to choose one. There was no playing the middle. But then at a 2004 event for 9/11 uh, families. I met Carlos Beltran and, uh, and his, uh, you know, his friend or his advisor, manager, whatever said I could, uh, you know, go to the games and use Carlos's seats. And, uh, so I went like one time and then the guy called me and he goes, Carlos wants to know why you haven't been to any more games. I said, oh, I don't want to offend him by asking too often. He goes, the only way you could offend Carlos is by not coming to the games. And so he had four four seats, four seats right behind home plate, and I would bring Dewey most of the time, and we would sit right there with Carlos's wife Jessica, and it was like uh, it was crazy how well he treated me. And at that point, I was like, I could be a Mets fan. And in the same way, you know, it's tough to be a Jets fan any year, especially this year. But the Jets treated me so well over the years. Uh, we had, we get seats once a year. I wouldn't want to overdo it right in the 50 yard line. And it's funny because of one of the players, I had a wardrobe, uh, problem and, uh, he was a, a defensive back. And so on the sidelines, the jets made like a human shield while they took off his, you know, his, his pants and he became Noel's favorite player. And she didn't know him by name. She only knew him as the Heine guy. Well, <laughs> was like four years old or five years old. Didn't know his name, but he was the Heine guy because she'd seen a peek at his Heine. And uh, and then there's this great photo of the last time I saw Stacy Keebler prior to the Hall of Fame, and uh, it was at a Jets game. And it's just a great. It was just a really fun moment. She's got that epic, you know, iconic smile. And so, uh, you know, I do enjoy the Jets. Uh, I do like Patrick. I really enjoy Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I really enjoyed uh, the uh, the whole Taylor Swift, Travis uh, Kelsey thing. And this is why I asked, I asked Grillo, and we can check in maybe the Swifties. 
can let us know. Can you become a Swifty without actually being a fan of Taylor Swift's music? Yes. If that's possible, she has won me over just with her like ebullience, you know? Uh, we prize facial expressions in the wrestling business. And these are all candid shots. It's not like she's at a photo session. Every facial expression is a winner. And I think she just brings a real positivity. It just it makes me laugh. I don't dislike her music, but I certainly wouldn't label myself a fan. And maybe we can post something from uh, when my son Mickey was playing the drums for a couple of the other campers, uh, not campers, workers at the Clark's uh, Trading Post talent show. And it's just funny because I, I dropped them off so they could rehearse for four hours. And then their vocalist completely forgot the lyrics and it turned out into one of the biggest cluster Fs you could imagine, which is what made it so much fun. So maybe I was predisposed to having good thoughts of her anyway, but uh, I really enjoyed, uh, I just really enjoyed seeing how much fun she had at that game. And just, uh, I've always thought she was a real positive person. And so I am a Swifty without actually being a Taylor Swift fan, if that makes any sense. I don't know that you ever discussed this. I don't know why you would, but, uh, did you know she used to babysit Jeff Jarrett's kids? I knew that. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Such a small I remember, world. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, you know, when Jeff, Jeff's wife passed and Taylor Swift was like a pretty big source of support. Uh, I, I think, uh, she had, was already a big star by then, but she, I remember she took Jeff's kids shopping and yeah, that's, it's nice to know. It's a pretty cool story too. A heck of a person, uh, world, yeah. uh, Cleveland guardians wrestling wants to know, can you describe your involvement with the upcoming Foley three pack from Mattel? Did you have any input on anything? Yeah, I did. Uh, you remember me coming on the show and talking about how my line in the sand wasn't actually a line in the sand. You can't talk about a potential line. You know, I guess you can, but I was talking about the possibility of drawing a line in the sand. And then WWE, you know, made me very happy with the reveal of the three faces of Foley. And where I did have some say is that uh, Mattel was doing a really nice job of packaging these things, but not doing it in a way that I thought was best, especially when it comes to signing them because the figures wouldn't be visible inside the box. And I, I thought, I don't think I can change their minds, but I'm going to reach out to uh, Ringside Collectibles. And Ringside Collectibles got back to me with uh, a graphic uh, Mattel was putting out. And so it is three individual figures, but they, they fit into the three faces of Foley packaging, and I'm really happy about it. For people, uh, you know, we already had the one question about the con, and you and I have talked about uh, autographs before, and the sense that maybe the current generation doesn't take the pride in the signature that they should. Some of the best handwriting, off the top of my head, Ric Flair, Bret Hart. Yes. So Slaughter, Brutus Beefcake, you know, you wouldn't think so. Um, Ricky Steamboat, beautiful. There, some of the women have really great handwriting, and I take a lot of pride in making mine look good and catchphrases, and fans know. They can tell the difference. So I do look forward to signing them, partially because it, you know, it is 
you know, it's it's profitable, but I also want them to have something special, and I take a lot of pride in trying to deliver that. Here's one that uh, this is an old school. This is a bit of a reach, and I'm I'm not sure if you even want to address it. But NAST wants to know. My partner and I attended one of your comedy shows while you were on tour a couple of years back, and during your show, you made a joke about how you could be an old timer who managed a young guy in AW. Now, of course we know that's not going to happen, but if you were right. to be an old timer managing a young guy in AW, who would you pick? Is there anybody over there whose game you've paid attention to that you really dig Mick that you think not that you're going to, I just want to say that ahead because I know people are going to quote this everywhere, but is there somebody you think, man, if I was interested in doing that and I had a chance to work with that guy and I know your schedule doesn't allow you to, and you're not interested to, I want to say that for the third time, but hypothetically. <laughs> Is there a talent over there? You'd be like, oh yeah, I'm in. Let's do that. That'd be fun. I, I think what I said is I felt like AEW already had the market cornered on right. middle age standing there on the ring. <laughs> if I saw they were short on that, maybe I'd entertain that thought. Uh, I got to tell you, there's this guy uh, there, and I think he's got some potential. Uh, MJF. Uh, <laughs> But he's not an effective mouthpiece, and he, he could really use somebody to, to do talk his talking. For him. I agree. Yeah, he hasn't quite gotten that uh, facet of his game. You know, no, he's doing tremendous, uh, and just great to see a Long Island guy doing so. I feel terrible about Adam Cole, though. Just terrible, you know. So, um, yeah, I reached out, and Britt told me that. You know, it's just mentally after coming back from the head injuries and he's just doing something that's working so well, it's tough. So if you guys have healing prayers or positive vibes, you could send to Adam, you know, and it's, it's, that would be nice. As far as a young guy there, I mean, you I'd said that, you know, if I was on top of my game, like I would have loved to have worked with a guy like Darby Allen out of the box because I love working with people who had, you know, very different styles than mine. And then somehow turning it into a, you know, like a brawling style match, but he's got the stinger doing that for him. I'm open to names. I can't think of anybody offhand because honestly, I don't think I have much to offer in a managerial role. Do you know who's always wanted me to do an angle? Like from a managerial perspective is Becky Lynch. Oh, wow. She, she's pointed that out a few times. And I said, hey, Becky, if you can talk the powers that be, like I would, you know. But she's doing really well on her own. She's doing, uh, so I can't, I can't think offhand of somebody who could, uh, uh, be, you know, benefit from me standing around ringside as a middle-aged man. So uh, I'm open to ideas, though. Uh, Brian wants to know, what do you think about Kevin Nash hating on LA Knight so hard lately? Have you kept up with that? Feud of the year, man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's funny is uh, I just I had dinner with Kevin and DDP and uh, Ju Julian Maha, who uh, founded the autism nonprofit Culture City that, you know, I've worked closely with them for several years now. So we had a nice dinner and it just it never came up. I meant to ask him about it. I think it's a little bit tongue in cheek, you know, Kevin sees a good thing when he's got it, you know, and the fact that LA Knight's responding to him, you know, whether directly or indirectly, it's, 
it's kind of fun. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's just, his knock on LA Knight is that he's uh, combining uh, the Rock and Steve, right? Uh, and I got to tell you, you got to combine two people. That's not a bad way to go. And I'm a guy who gleaned so much of what he did from Terry Funk. So I'm not one to throw stones. I think it's pretty funny. And uh, I think it only builds interest in L.A. Night. So uh, if it was hurting his career, I would worry about it. But I think he's going to be just fine. And I know he just diagnosed with COVID. So I hope nah, he's he's okay. Absolutely. I, 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 for one, am, I mean, they got to be having fun. I just, I can't imagine that that's a, they're not going to have some sort of parking lot brawl. I think so. I think so. It's funny how, uh, uh, <laughs> uh it's funny how I've been asked about Twitter feuds and, uh, and, and even well before Twitter, like why I would rib guys like test. And uh, I said, if I didn't like him, I wouldn't bring him up. Like, if I didn't like him, I just, I wouldn't mention him. So I have, to, I, I don't know. I, I should have asked Kevin, but uh, I think they're both having fun with it. And I think it is, it is pretty funny that it, it could be one of the feuds of the year. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it's, it, it's, uh, it's okay. I don't think it's hurting anybody. All right, all right, all right. Football is back in full swing with another week of Epic Games. And who's got you covered on the action for every single one of them? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. And new customers can bet just $5 on football and get $200 instantly in bonus bets. Nobody's missing out on the action this season. All DraftKings customers can take advantage of two new offers every game day this September. Get in on the NFL action with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code Foley to sign up. New customers can bet just $5 and take home 200 instantly in bonus bets only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code Foley. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www dot 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in New York. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in Connecticut. Help is available for gambling by calling 888-789-7777 or visit ccp.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in ONT. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash football terms for eligibility, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Bonus bets expire seven days after issuance. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Elliot wants to know, given your own creativity as an author and your experience in the business with successful angles, is there a particular reason you never got involved as a part of a creative team, either in WWE or in TNA? Yeah, I, uh, with WWE, I didn't, you know, Clint Eastwood said in Magnum Force, a man's got to know his limitations and my limitations would include not spending an extraordinary amount of time with Mr. McMahon. Um, I love Vince, but, uh, I don't think I could operate. He has a certain way of motivating people. And, uh, like Al Snow said on wrestlers that, um, uh, 
when his uh, his co the co owner of OVW said, "Was that actually a compliment?" Al goes, "Patting the backs two feet higher than a kick in the ass." Yes, yes. <laughs> Which is a pretty good response. I always responded better to the pat on the back, and Vince is more of a kick in the ass type guy. I gotcha. So I did. That's I do regret that I did not get more involved with TNA on the creative end. Um, yeah, I should have. I should have. And uh, I did used to have some good ideas storyline wise. Uh, I don't think I've had one in a very long time, though. So that would be the reason. Nothing. My son, like he would just come up when he worked for a WWE, and especially when he worked really closely with the talent in NXT on their promos, he could just come up with idea after idea. But I stopped having those ideas a while ago. Do you think it's just because you're not actively engaging in the product? Uh, you, you just don't, I mean, not to say that you don't have a passion for it, but you haven't really watched it as closely. Is that, is that the reason? Yeah, pro- probably. Yeah. And I have started watching again. I have to tell you, I really finding raw enjoyable. Uh, I think triple H deserves a lot. And no, that's not a sign that I want to go back there under contract just because I'm complimenting triple H. I think they've got some great long-term storylines going on. I think they're adding great talent. And uh, it reminds me of like late 1999, specifically early 2000, when we had a, I think a 10-man tag match in Dallas. And it was just like, from beginning to end, it was just a phenomenal reaction. It was like everybody in that ring was over. And so... WWE and their roster is kind of reminding me of those days because there are a lot of characters that are working well. So I have been watching the show more than I did the past couple of years and I'm enjoying it, but I'm just enjoying it as a fan. I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not really critical of the product. You know, I mean, you can dissect it and a lot of people do, but it's at It's, it's supposed to be a form of escapism yes. and that's the, I use it to kind of escape and it's not an effective form of escapism. If you're being critical of everything from beginning to end. Well said, you know, you mentioned, uh, what's going on with WWE lately. I feel like this is our first time we've recorded since man, it's a whole new era. And you know, Vince McMahon now has a boss. That's something you and I've never been able to say here on the program before the merger with endeavor is complete. Uh, there's been uh, quite a bit of shakeups over there behind the scenes. I know their, uh, their CEO or, or CFO rather as is now out of there, Mr. Riddick and Jamie Horowitz headed up a department and he's out and a few others, but then there's even more shakeups from the on-screen characters. And unfortunately, a lot of people have lost their jobs like Mr. Riddle yeah. and Mr. Ziegler and top Dollar and Shelton Benjamin and so many others. Uh, you, you and I haven't discussed any of this new era of WWE. What do you think about this new WWE venture with Endeavor? And, uh, what can you comment if anything on, on some of those releases? Oh yeah. I'll just say, you know, the best, uh, and it's really short. It's really easy to read. It was from, uh, um, <laughs> Matt Cardona <laughs> And I, the reason I'm laughing is, as like I had to think of his real name because I just focus on the, the wrestling name. Uh, even though obviously been using his real name for the past few years, and he gave a great tweet. He said, "This could be the end, this or ju- it could be the end, where you look at it as a new beginning." 
And he said, the work is out there, I promise you, if you're willing to work your ass off for it. And so this is where you can, you know, you can either take the time, uh, time-honored route of going out in the Indies and coming back each loop through with less and less of an impression, or you can reinvent yourself. Uh, the way that Mac Cardona did, the way that Drew McIntyre, I think he really set the template. Cody Rhodes, you know, became more over on the independence than he was in WWE before he made, you know, the, the before there was an AEW. And I think it's just a matter if you're willing to work for it. You don't get that by monthly check in your mailbox. You've got to go out there and work for it. But I can tell you as somebody who, you know, I, I took pride in thinking that I kind of reinvented myself on the independent circuit in between uh, uh, 90 and 91. And then again, when I left WCW in 94, you do have to work for it. You really have to put yourself into it. But there's a lot. Now, unfortunately, it's going to work out that some of the guys, you know, for some of those guys, WWE was the be all and end all. But other people are going to find a way to work harder uh, without the restrictions. Uh, I just reached out. Uh, you know, I'm kind of late to the party, but I reached out to Dana Brooke today, for example, and told her I was sorry to hear of her release. And she got back to me and I said, look, I know I felt like a giant weight was off my shoulders when I left the big companies. And hopefully, you know, you'll feel that same way, too. So I, I always feel bad when people lose their yes. income and their you know friends they've known for a long time. It just comes down to being willing to put in the work, and there's a lot of work to be done. So I hope that some of them will take that opportunity to reinvent themselves. What do you think, uh, if anything, is going to change with WWE with him now, him now being Vince, uh, pronouns pal, uh, Vince having a boss. I mean, what do you think that looks like? This is a whole new era. I guess the, uh, announcers can feel more free to use pronouns. Uh, <laughs> see, I would argue with Vince as a writer that once you identify the subject in a sentence, you don't have to identify them a second time. That once you go with Mark Henry, just what an amazing power move by Mark Henry. He is the world's strongest man. You don't have to say Mark Henry is the world's strongest man a second time. But when I was on those headphones, you'd get that no pronouns. <laughs> so. That I so I think some of I don't know how much of that will change. He's still going to be hands on. He said he wasn't going to be in the weeds, but I don't know if he knows any other way to be besides being in the weeds. You saw his retirement. Uh, you know, it did last longer than my retirement in uh, in two thousand, but it didn't last long. And I imagine Vince, he hasn't worked for anyone in 50, forty years. Or, you know, when he took over his dad's company in eighty. Four, uh, maybe even 83. So uh, it remains to be seen. But, jeez, uh, I, I, I don't see any reason why WWE won't continue to be as popular, if not more popular, around the globe. Uh, Cal wants to know, Mick, I grew up loving your memoirs and novels. I've written a few school papers on Have a Nice Day. Any chance of another novel? 
you know, I realized um, after I'd written the two of them, and they were great experiences, but I also I thought that maybe ten percent of the you know the audience for have a nice day would follow me into fiction, and that you know that didn't happen. And I and I realistically thought it's going to take like five more novels to try to find a new audience. Uh, and I, but I had two small kids, and I honestly just thought I uh, I'm not willing to put in the time. In this case, I just talked about the work required to reinvent yourself. Uh, right, it's a pretty solitary endeavor. You know, you're spending many hours a day. You know, in my case, late into the morning, you know, early into the morning hours, and then going out there on tour. You know, where you don't get paid, and if you really want to push what you're doing, you're out there for great lengths of time. I will say that I'm going kind of off on a tangent here, but. You don't get paid, but they would put you up in very nice hotels and give you a uh, a real generous, uh, you know, allowance for your meals and all that. And after two weeks on the road, my uh, publicist said, Mick, we're concerned that you're not eating. We're not getting any bills. And I was like, yeah, those prices are too expensive. And they said, but we pay for it. I said, I know, but on principle, I'm not ordering $50 scrambled eggs because the nicer the hotel, the more expensive it yes. is. Uh, but hey, going back to it's it's a pretty lonely, solitary endeavor. And I mentioned I have had a couple of uh, short stories published under pseudonyms, which I'll never reveal. Uh, so I have enjoyed writing. And we talked on our show about, uh, and I showed you the finished copy of the Foley Chronicles, which was the memoir I wrote just a from a perspective being a dad and uh, I only had 25 copies published because that was the minimum print run and it was just a gift for my uh, family and uh, just a way to remember all these stories while I, you know, I still have the power of recall. So I do love writing. Um, but, and I've thought maybe, you know, maybe when the children are all grown, I know technically they're all adults, 20, 22, 29, 31, Basically, if I get an idea in my head and it won't leave me alone, and maybe I'll think about writing it down, but I really haven't had one. I've had a few ideas over years I've toyed around with, but nothing that I felt powerful enough to put pen to paper. Sure. A uh, fun one here from Stuart Wood. Any gambling stories in between all the drugs? I would imagine gambling between the boys was big. There had to be a few horror stories. We've never talked about gambling. I don't know that uh, there's a ton of financial gambling, but I do bet there were some silly bets. Uh, did you ever hear of any silly bets? Like, I bet you can't, or I, I know you won't, that sort of stuff. <laughs> I can tell you the only time I've gambled. I did place two two dollar bets at the track one time uh, when Al Snow and I won the hit the jackpot, and then we were tipping uh, exo- you know uh, exotic dancers with quarters. <laughs> and the one young lady threw the quarter at me and it hit me in the eye. Like you couldn't have done that with a hundred takes, but that was rigged. Like we knew we were going to hit the jackpot there. The only example of me actually gambling with something other than my own body is that when my high school wrestling coach came to see me at an appearance in Las Vegas, he wanted to take me to the buffet. 
and the buffet didn't open for like an hour. So I think I lost $20 on blackjack and that was it for me. Like I've just never felt compelled to do it. I'm laughing because I remember a, a short period of time where two of the most competitive people you'll ever meet, Billy Gunn and Ken Shamrock were having like athletic feats, sprints, you know, 50 yard dashes in the hallway at the Louisville Gardens. That's a, that's I that's the only thing I really remember because I you know like I didn't and people ask me about the drug culture like in ECW it's like I I don't know like I didn't ride with people who did that like they didn't talk openly about right. about it in front of me it just wasn't my thing so I never heard of really strange bets I'm sure there's some good stories out there but that wasn't really my bag daddy <laughs> my bag uh, Matthew. So, Go ahead. Grillo can vouch for me that a few days ago I went into his home studio and recorded the takes for uh, uh, the new WWE game. And so, you know, I do things as they're written, but I also try some other things. And I remembered how much Jay Lethal loved Dude Loves. <laughs> like when Dude was selling, he was going, out lighting up, Daddy. <laughs> lighting up, Daddy. So good. <laughs> so... Because Jay found that so amusing, I figure other people will. So we did one or two takes where Dude was asking his opponent to lighten up on him because that wasn't really his bag, Daddy. But I know somebody who's bagging indeed is. There you go. A little dude love for you. Uh, Elliot Matthew wants to know, what's your favorite Disney ride? <sighs> Man, I love that Seven Dwarfs Mine Train. I really do because it's one of the – well, now I don't think I could fit into it. But – even with uh, head injuries, because it was fast but smooth, I could do that. There was nothing jarring about it. Uh, I can't ever do a roller coaster that moves me from side to side, which means I can only do a few of them. Right. Uh, so I do love that. And as a dad, I just uh, my son loved Peter Pan. And we love the Peter Pan ride because of that. So I'd go with Peter Pan and uh, the mine train. Uh, here's uh, one last one. And this is an interesting one to go out on. Andrew wants to know, it seems like your worldview is a lot different than most of the other wrestlers and especially some of those in power. So do you think this ever hindered your career or did you feel like you were held back because of your beliefs? No, I think when it, you know, I think when it came to Vince, he respected them. Yes. And also I, I like, by the time I really started, you know, like reading more into the things I was kind of retired, you know? Um, and, but I don't think it did. I don't, I mean, it, it may have cost me some fans, honestly. Um, but even when I'd be like, uh, Hey, you know, I would send out a message and be like, Hey, Man, if you're a white supremacist, you know, don't follow me. It's not like I woke up and lost 100,000 fans, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess by hitting, like, delete or whatever, unfollow, you'd be admitting to yourself that you're, you know, one of those people. But uh, I want everyone to get along. I really do. I, really, I want people to get along. And I think, you know, some of the things that, people thought were political over the last few years or really just me wanting people not to die. And, um, I, yeah, look, I, I, I have a, I got along pretty well with almost everyone, uh, in wrestling. 
So I don't think it's been a problem. I'm sure there are fans who've had issues and no longer like me, but all in all, I, I, I'm doing okay. I think you're doing just fine and you're going to be doing just fine as, uh, you continue to make the rounds, check out where Mick is going to be next right now over at real He's got his full schedule there. And, uh, more importantly, you can also see Mick in real life, do a custom <laughs> video for you at cameo.com slash Mick Foley. If you haven't already, what are you waiting for? That's cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley. You'll notice he has more than 5,000 five-star reviews. So don't take our word for it. You're going to get your money's worth daddy. Isn't that fair to say? <laughs> it is. And again, you can tell, I really enjoy doing them. And I can just remark on uh, the subject of doing these appearances for a second is that I'm really, really lucky. I, I want to thank all the fans, honestly, because I didn't think this opportunity would be here for me. I, I gave myself an 18 month window. Like when I left WWE full time in 2000 and here it's 23 years later and uh, things are going really well. And one of the nice things is it's easy just to, create appearances conventions are great uh, but you know clearly they're planned you know a, you know a year in advance a lot of work that goes into them this tour i'm on now came about because i was asked about doing a signing uh, just south of seattle that'll be tomorrow which is saturday the 30th and i said ah, i can't go all that way for one event you want to see if I, we can do something in spokane and Hey, you want to reach out to a couple stores in Oregon? And so it's just kind of cool that you can just kind of work your way down the entire Pacific coast, you know, a few hundred miles at a time. One of the cool things I'll be doing is I actually booked uh, a resort where the original Santa's house from Santa's village in Santa Cruz, California was. And that's where I'll sit down for a couple of off days and I'll work on my my letters from Santa, you know. So I'm really lucky that I can, like, it's just cool to be able to create a schedule like that. I really enjoy it. And I'm really fortunate I have the opportunity, so I want to thank you. And I just want to get a feeler out there. Conrad, let's uh, see if people are noticing that I'm giving the long hair one last try. Um, I'm going to see what happens. I gave up in 2018 when I found out I was using the words, it's not a perm on almost a daily basis. Oh, wow. The hair is getting curly. Um, but this time I actually went to a barber shop and I realized if I want the hair to grow long, I've got to kind of work on it along the way. I can't just like na let nature take its path like I used to. So I was like, all right, if the problem was that the hair was, you know, was growing up and not down, then what I've got to do is I've got to clip the top of it so I can allow some length to come in. And fingers crossed, we'll be back to kind of like the, uh, uh, sh not shoulder length, but uh, down to the collar foley in the next six to eight months. Just fingers crossed. On I'm looking forward to it. And uh, don't forget, you can see where Mick is going to be next by hustling over to realmickfoley.com. And don't forget, you can pre-order that three faces of Foley ringside collectible opportunity on the same website. It's realmickfoley.com that you can get, you know, cactus Jack as a standalone. You can get mankind as a standalone. You can get dude love as a standalone, but why not get the three pack and Mick, I've even seen you at a lot of these conventions. When you sign a three pack, 
You actually oh, yeah. use different markers, different colors oh. for E. I mean, that's a pretty cool deal that you do there. Yeah. Again, it goes back to, you know, wanting to give people something and they're certainly, I mean, it's, it, they're certainly, I mean, they're paying for it and I want them to have that really lasting memory. And when people put it up on a shelf, I want it to, to stand out. Well, it will. And we hope that, uh, you know, that the cameos will stand out too. If you haven't already make your way over, check it out. You'll be glad you did. Uh, that's cameo.com forward slash Mick Foley. That'll do it for us this week on Foley is pod. We'll be back sooner rather than later. Quick plug. Uh, yes, sir. you know how we watch wrestlers and, uh, you know, Hollywood Haley, like Janet kind of jumps out at you. Mm-hmm. That was the way I felt when I saw Tara Zepp. So, uh, I believe she's going places. She's got a unique look and to be, uh, someone who's drawn to death match wrestling. I think that's pretty cool. I'm not saying I advocate anyone going into that, but I'm not going. You love that stuff. I love it, but I don't know if I can do it, but you're going to do it, right? I might. might. You just did a flip off of a house. (laughs) (laughs) pretty hardcore okay fine yeah and she's a great tattoo artist uh so what is the uh the twitter thing keep up with everywhere you can at villain Villain. tara zap yeah Uh, over on ig you can find her at villain tara zap that's villain made feud between hollywood haley g and tara I was building that feud. I need that cage match. With uh, and Al can be in uh, Haley's corner. I'll be in Tara's corner. Oh, I like that. We can make that happen. <laughs> Somebody out there book that, and and we'll do it. Okay. Sounds good. We'll see you guys next week right here on Folius Pod. Have a nice day. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson here to tell you a little more about what AdFreeShows.com is all about. Get early ad-free access to more than a dozen of your favorite wrestling podcasts every single week, starting at just nine bucks. That's less than 20 cents an episode each month. And yes, you can listen to them all directly through Apple podcasts or your regular podcast apps. How easy is that? Ad-free shows also has thousands of hours worth of bonus content and docu-series like title chase, Eric fires back conversations with Conrad and the insiders. Plus new series like The Book with David Crockett, Monday Mailbags with Mike Chioda and Nick Patrick, and a whole lot more. And you want to talk about early. You can't get any earlier than listening to the shows live. You can be a part of the live studio audience as we record the podcast. Plus ride shotgun alongside your favorite childhood heroes for live watch-alongs, Q&As, and other interactive experiences every single month. Come on now, see for yourself what thousands of other wrestling fans from around the world have discovered that adfreeshows.com is the best value in wrestling. Check it out today. And hey, when you do, the first week is completely free. Adfreeshows.com.